0: Hey, are you going to Gen Con? Well, guess what? So are uh, Rudy Basso, Jeff Griner, and I. And on Friday night at 8.30pm of Gen Con, we will be at Tavern on South and we want to meet with you. That's right. If you are going to Gen Con, that Friday at 830 Tavern on South, it's a bar and restaurant, it's less than a block from the convention center, it's at 423 West South Street in Indianapolis. We will be there. We're going to be hanging out in the bar section. Come meet with us. Tell us what you think about the show. Maybe play a game with us. We don't know what we're going to be doing, but we want to meet fans of the Tome Show. Follow Jeff Greiner on Twitter at Squatch. That's at S-Q-U-A-C-H. He's the commander-in-chief of the Tome Show and the Tome Show Network, and a regular roundtable panelist. Rudy Basso of the D&D VNG podcast and regular panelist on the roundtable. You can follow him on Twitter at R-U-D-Y-B-A-S-S-O, and you can follow me on Twitter at J-A-M-E-S-I-N-T-R-O-C-A-S-O. Follow us there. We'll be sending you pictures of where we are at Gen Con and what we're doing. So even if you can't meet up with us on Friday night, you can meet up with us probably at another time. We have a lot of games scheduled, but we'd love to meet with you. So go follow us on Twitter. Follow the Tome Show on Facebook at facebook.com slash the Tome Show. So if you want to come check us out, like I said, 8.30, Friday night of Gen Con, Tavern on South. Follow us on Twitter to get other updates. All right, let's start the show. Hello, welcome to the D&D Roundtable presented by The Tome Show. I'm your host, James Intercasso. Please use the affiliate links on thetomeshow.com whenever you shop on Amazon or D&D Classics to help support the show. Just go to thetomeshow.com, click on the links in the show notes for this episode or any other, and then shop as you normally would. We'd also like to thank our sponsor for this podcast, noblenight.com where out-of-print is available again. They have D&D and other tabletop RPGs. Any edition, any product. With Noble Knight, you can even sell them your old gaming products you aren't using anymore. Let's hear a quick word from them. Noble Knight is an online game store. D&D, they got that more. And if you think out-of-print games are nice, shop Noble Knight because they've got the best price. And if you got gaming products to sell, then Noble Knight will buy them as well. So go to the place where games the bomb and head over to noblenight.com. And don't forget to tell them that the Tone Show sent you. Today we're talking about an unearthed arcana, about variant rules, the first round of D&D 5th edition errata, and the May survey results. Let's meet the panel and kick things off with our get-to-know-you question, what is your favorite house rule? Sam Dillon, welcome to the roundtable.
1: Thank you, sir. Um, Wow. I, you know, I've been thinking about this all day, and... um. I don't really have a favorite. I know that's like horrible, <laughs> but it it kind of depends on the edition. I think right now, and of course it does change, right? Right now, uh my favorite house rule for Fifth Edition is uh side initiative. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's where you just roll one, you know, one player will roll and that'll be the initiative for the for that all the players and then they get to decide. The reason I like it is cuz they get to decide what order they go in and it it, it adds a little meatiness to their, you know, discussions and whatnot uh, versus just going by the, the role. The thing it doesn't do well with is if, um, if a, uh, uh, if a player really focuses their character on getting a good initiative, uh, then it doesn't do so well, except, you know, if they can just convince all the other players that they should always go first when, once we win initiative, then, hey, you know, it kind of works. A- uh, sorry i just found out i stole wade's <laughs> <laughs> indeed indeed you did steal wade's
0: uh, favorite house rule side initiative wade what is your second favorite house rule
2: <laughs> i just want to say you can't imagine how hard it is to type with a laundry basket on your head <laughs> while, while the podcast is being recorded. All right. So, of course, I can't just give you my second. I do need to comment on what Sam's up to. Um, I do the side initiative, but I just recently found out that that one of my players brought to my attention two things about it. One, um, if you have a lot of extrovert-type players who always have ideas, they don't plan. They just say, I'm doing this, I'm doing this, I'm doing this. So there's no like coordination like I had hoped. So that's kind of falling apart. Also, when my monsters are on the receiving end of the entire initiative beatdown, I don't survive. And I've been <laughs> wondering, I've been wondering why my monsters are getting their asses kicked lately, and it's got to be that. So I think we might retract and go back to the old stuff for a while. See, see how that goes. Um, my my variant that I really like that we've been kind of doing throughout editions is we scrapped initiative a long time ago. Did I say initiative we scrapped? I meant uh, alignment. Oh, oh, um, yeah, 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 yeah. I was um,
0: going to ask how that works, but... Yeah, got I'm,
2: it, reading, got <laughs> I'm reading initiative in my head. Okay, <laughs> um, and alignment's more situational, so it's almost like a, if I were in that situation, what would I do? But you get to play like a bent. So, okay, I'm being a quasi-evil character. So instead of being bound to initiative, you can just use it as not even a tool, just sort of like it's in the background. Um, in 5th edition frees us all mechanically from initiative anyway, which, I mean, uh, alignment anyway, which makes it easier. It's the
1: laundry basket. I know,
2: I know. It's messing with everything. But I do enjoy that now, and it's, you don't even have to think about it. We just gloss over it. And so that's, I guess, a variant or a house world that we like.
0: Uh, Speaking of glossing over things, um, could you explain to the audience at home why you're wearing a laundry (laughs)
2: basket? Sure, real quick. Uh, I'm... (laughs) I'm always trying to increase the sound on my microphone and I don't have any expensive recording equipment. So uh, in the past, I have put my head in a box or under a blanket, but I couldn't see very well. So now I'm in a laundry basket and looking through the little peepholes.
0: And uh, Liz Tice is with us. Uh, Liz, Hi. what is your favorite house rule?
3: So this is one that it doesn't really have anything to do with mechanics, but it's it's something that... My dad introduced uh, in his games in college, I believe, and has carried on to my games, and that is d- the death hat. Yes. So,
1: <laughs> which way is, is it wearing shape- right now? Yeah, I was gonna okay. say, is it shaped like a laundry basket? <laughs>
3: <laughs> no, it is not <laughs> but it's uh um the death hat that i saw and i don't know if it's the same one that he used in college is a, a black um women's hat with a, a mesh veil sort of like one you'd imagine in a <laughs> movie of you know the widow wearing right, right. um and if you're character dies you have to wear the death hat for the rest of the evening (laughs) and it it makes it fun and you always you know there's tons of jokes if you near death of oh no you're gonna have to wear the death hat so (laughs) there is now a death hat for my games that is (laughs) nice
0: incredible Let's move into some serious discussion, shall we? First um, up oh, We have to be serious? No, we do not have to be serious. Okay. Just checking. <laughs> We're talking about D&D after all.
2: First up on the
0: list... Unearthed Arcana variant rules. Uh, There was, as as there always is every month, an Unearthed Arcana article that came out. This one had a whole bunch of variant rules that people use at the table. Um, Everything from uh, optional rules for vitality and making your players do all of the roles for both attack and defense. For custom alignments. Uh, You know, Wade had mentioned doing away with alignment, so it was sort of, those were the big three, and they get very granular into how those would work exactly at the table. Um, What I want to know from you guys is, are you using any of these at your table? Have you used something like this in the past? Uh, What do you think of them? We can start with the making all of the players take all of the roles. So that for everything that happens, uh, the DM never actually has to roll. The players roll everything. So it changes a little bit things like armor class and how saving throws work when a monster has to do a saving throw and contests and checks and that sort of thing. Uh, Sam, let's start with you. What did you think about making the players make all of the rolls? Uh,
1: I think it takes a a little tiny bit of the fun out of DMing. Mm because I like rolling dice too. I love <laughs> rolling dice. Um although I do see the I I understand the ideas behind it. Um I think the the attacking and the defending, attacking and defending uh is interesting because uh what it does is it puts the um it sort of allows for the player to narrate uh why they were missed on the attack instead of The DM, you know, saying, oh, I rolled and I missed you like the player rolls and then they can say, oh, I, you know, leapt to the side just at the last second and and took brought my sword up. And so the, you know, the dagger of the enemy didn't hit me or whatever, you know, I'm so eloquent, aren't I? It, it sort of puts it on their end, other than you know, rather than the DM saying it. Um, and I think the um, the the sort of contests and and checks part of that with uh, just u- using passive, the passive scores whenever there's like a contested thing against a PC versus a, a different a monster or creature. Um, I think that's an interesting idea that could be completely separate from the whole players make all roles. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, but, you know, I I understand the sort of allure of doing that, but eh, I I like rolling dice, so it's not really... I mean, the passive check thing is a separate thing, but the other ones, I don't know. I liked rolling dice too much to put it all the way in my player's hands.
0: Yeah, and the one thing I'm not sure about is, will it really speed things up that much? I mean, obviously there's going to be a learning curve, right? But even once everybody's used to it, is it that much faster? Somebody still has to roll whenever there's a check, so... Um, And
1: you'd have to change your character sheet to sort of put your, you know, make it so that there's a spot for you to remind you, you know, oh, my defense role is, you know, whatever. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Liz, what did you think about making all players roll?
3: So the first thing I thought when I saw this was, oh, man, this sort of takes away some of the mystery Mm -hmm. that I think uh, goes along with having the DM role.
0: Right, right.
3: Like I, I know there's sometimes where the the battle's really tense, and you know another hit could mean whether or not my character's still up or not. And um, I kind In of whether
1: you have to wear the death hat or not.
3: Exactly, <laughs> and whether I have to wear the death hat or not. So it's I don't know having someone having someone else have the control in that moment, even though it's all luck, you know, luck of the role, it's, it's sort of exciting. And I feel like that would be taken away, um, if, if the GM wasn't rolling, but I, I do, I do really like what, um, uh, like what Sam was saying. I do actually like the contests part of the, the variant Mm rules, but you know, I think that's something What's nice about variant rules is you can pick and choose what you want to use and just not use the stuff you don't like. So, I mean, that's something that I might use completely separate from the rest of it.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. And that is the great part is that they really break each of these down. And so, if you wanted the players to only roll for some things but not others, you can definitely do that. Wade Kemper, all the way from the laundry basket, what do you think about having players make all the rolls? Uh,
2: I'm glad the next. Column was something I agreed with because this almost made me throw my laptop out the window. Oh, really? That's how, that's how <laughs> much I hate. Yeah, this idea never sat well with me. Um, there was a time in the dark days uh, where I couldn't I couldn't find a group, and the internet wasn't as easily um, you can't you couldn't find groups to play remotely, right? And I started looking at some indie products, like some of these small press RPGs, and a lot of them went with this. Players narrate. Players become more active, and you know, despite my attempts not to be the confrontational DM, there's something really cool about the storyteller as director, writer, and producer, and then the participants as more like actors in the dark, right? So you you sense, you know, you hope the DM's being fair, um, but I got to be honest, I like cheating. Um, so I can roll behind the screen. No, 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 (laughs) don't get me wrong. I cheat for the players as much or more than I cheat against them Mm -hmm. because there are situations where I don't want it to come to an abrupt end with a kobold ambush on a a quirky D20 roll. There's a few things I roll in front of the screen. I always roll recharges in the front because it's exciting to see if the beast is going to unleash it again and everybody kind of hankers over or hunkers over the desk to see it. Um, And then occasionally, if it's like a really nuts and bolts, edge of your seat kind of game, I'll throw that down and let everybody see it. But for the most part, I want the control. And I really think deep down most players don't want to know exactly what's going on behind the screen because otherwise they would probably want to DM more and they like having that shade and mystery. When you start putting it all on them and making them roll, not only does it become cumbersome, but you're right, James, I don't think it would be much of a speed up because everybody would be (laughs) – holding their dice and rolling them and re-rolling them and bitching and moaning about it. So I, I say, give me the control and it's a trust issue. I mean, I've been playing with these guys for 20 years. So, I mean, it's not like I have to give up a lot of trust and, and expect a lot from them, but it just, it f- doesn't feel like D and think that's what I'm trying to get to this, this variant takes away from what D and D is. I don't know what this contest and checks thing is. Uh, Cause I kind of glossed over that, but it seems like they're taking away opposing checks. That's no fun.
1: <laughs> right that would just spe- it the idea is that it speeds up things because you never make an opposed check you just go with the passive score for that item Yeah, but i like the
2: rolls because even though you know it's like the best plate laid plans of mice and men like i could have the absolute advantage here but if i roll a one that's a fun thing to narrate you mm-hmm. know you take that away it just becomes this so but I don't do a lot of passive stuff anyway. So that's that's kind of my style.
1: Yeah, I never I that's the thing. That's I think why it's a little bit enticing to me cuz it is like it would be a new different thing in my game <laughs> because I never use passive anything. I always have them roll. But right. I you know, I see where you're coming from and I I pretty much basically, you know, all the way agree with you. Uh-huh. And I sort of when I read this, <laughs> I just thought to myself, "Well, I, like I, so I, I was gonna say this towards the end, but I, I really feel like this rules variant, you know, uh unearthed arcana article could have been so much more. Mm. Mm-hmm. Oh, like yeah. it just mm-hmm. this is kind of I don't know. There's just something about it that I don't it, it's it's generic. You yeah. know? It's it's not really like, oh, here's a really cool rules variant that that we've been sort of horsing around with or it's something that was we were thinking about when we were developing the game and it never really went anywhere. But you know, check this out. Maybe your group would really like it. It's a really interesting new thing. And these are sort of just, okay, well, um, you know, there are other games on the market where players do all the rolling, right? Yeah. Dungeon World. Uh isn't Numenera like that? Um mm-hmm you know, there, there's like a ton of games. I mean, maybe not a ton, but, you know, there's a lot of games. They're not D&D, but there's a lot of games. So it's kind of not new to me, like, because I, I play a lot of games. So it wasn't really all that to me. And I kind of felt that about this whole thing, pretty much. <laughs> I
3: felt like, and we'll get into this a little bit more with the other rules, but I felt like some of these rules seemed familiar, as in, mm-hmm. like, stuff from other game systems. And I don't know if they're trying to sort of... Reach out and grab those people that are interested in those other game systems and, like, pull them into 5th edition. But I don't feel like these rules will accomplish that.
1: They went far enough to lose the flavor of D&D, but not yes. far enough to get the flavor of the other game in.
2: Yes. I think people that aren't sold on 5th edition aren't even looking at Unearthed Arcana articles. because. Right. <laughs> a- the six people that I play with, and we're all vets, I'm the only one who regularly visits the the watsy website. Yes. And, mm-hmm. I mean, I have four DMs in my group. They should be looking, right? It's, it's so hidden, and let's not even talk about how crappy the design is of this website, but it's all the way at the bottom. It shows up for a day, and then it's gone, right? Um, you got to be smart and look for it, and people who are still piddling around on what they're going to play – I don't think this is going to sell. So yeah, I'm with you. I don't know what this is for this time. There's been some really cool ones, but this time really seems like, um, maybe Merle's had an off day or he he went drinking the night before. So I don't know.
1: I don't know. I don't know. I I, I think this was, uh, I I don't think it was thrown together as a sort of off day. Like, Oh crap. I got to put something up there. I, I think it's closer to what Liz said, where they're trying to pull in people who, who are sort of, what I call uber RPGers, Like they, they play a lot of games and they find, they find a game that they like and they play it for a long time. And then they realize there's a lot of parts of it they don't like, but they do like certain parts and then they move on to a different game. And then there's a whole bunch of parts that they like, but then there's some parts they don't like. And as time goes on, they realize there's more that they don't like. So then they take parts of that game and then they, you know what I mean? And then at the end they've played like 10 or 12 different games and now they have these rules that they like. And I think the attempt here is, hey, look, we know that in some systems, this is a really cool way to do things. And you can actually do that in D&D, too.
0: The fact that they some of these rules don't go very far or are almost like non-rules I think is actually a calculated thing. Because when you look at what they were doing with every playtest packet for 5th edition, there were some rules where it was like, why is this a rule? Why does every class suddenly have expertise dice, right? Or why does this happen? And I think it's because they want to get the survey feedback, and then they're thinking about other ways to implement it or other places it's going to go. It also could just be like, yeah, you know, this inspiration thing seems to really be taking off, which is clearly borrowed from some other systems. What else can we try to get in there? But I don't know. Uh, it does seem like people are not going to use these things in the game and maybe not respond to surveys accurately then. Uh, <laughs> if, they're not, if they're like, well, this just is dumb. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the second rule, vitality. Uh, you know, it relates to hit points. Um, in addition to hit points, you have a vitality score that also goes up and down as you take damage. And it sort of represents your ability to withstand some massive damage or, or, or that kind of thing. So Sam <laughs> what yes. would you say vitality <laughs> reminds you of? Of of which systems?
1: You know, there's elements of so many other things in this little rule. It's really hard to be hard on this document because number one, it's free. Number two, it's completely <laughs> optional rules. Number three, it's like two pages. So it's the you know, it can't get in depth, you know. Right, right. But that's part of the problem for me. Like this and the alignment thing, like, you know, they could, they could flesh this out so much more and talk about how it could change the game for you. And that's what I think it needs. Like, instead of saying here, here's a new rule, here's three paragraphs explaining it, go play with it and figure out how it's going to change your game and whether you like it or not. Instead of that present how you envision it might change our game to entice us to use it, right? Instead of making us do the work, right? Like, I, I'm I'm tired of playtesting, I guess, is my thing, right? right. I'm tired of playtesting. So if I see something and it doesn't automatically grab me as, ooh, I really want to do that, I'm not doing it. And this is this is how they've presented this particular, you know, these these next two things, vitality and and alignment, like ho hum. I like yawned when I was reading them. Right. Um. And vitality. Yeah. It reminds me of like four different other games. Um. But the thing is, it works in those games because of the way those games are set up. I'm not sure it would work in my D and D game. Mm-hmm. Vitality might. I think it could be played with. But you know what? Hit points is so easy. <laughs> like a lot of people. A lot of people complain about it. Like, oh well, it's so unrealistic. And uh, okay, fine. It is. Um. It's a fantasy game.
0: Right. So and it's shooting it's, a fireball with right. Marquano. Yeah.
1: Exactly. It's super easy and everybody understands it. And everybody can have, you know, part, people complain about it, but here's the thing with hit points, you can have in your mind exactly what your own conception of hit points means to you. And that can be different from the guy sitting next to you or the woman sitting on the other side or the DM. But everybody still understands exactly what it means in mechanical terms, but it's broad enough and vague enough that you could put your own, you know, thing on it and it still works with everybody.
0: Liz, vitality. What do you think?
3: So, I I actually kind of like this one. Um I don't think it's necessary, but it kind of reminded me of the strain mechanic. Um my my husband and I really like uh, the Fantasy Flight Star Wars game. <laughs> and they have this concept of strain. Um it's it's not exactly the same. But uh, it's, it's similar, right? And I, I kind of really like that because there is this idea of, you know, there you can get tired, right? And have that affect you, uh, even if it doesn't affect your, your particular hit points. So I like sort of bringing that concept into d and a bit, but I, it took me a while reading through this. I think I read through the vitality optional rule like three or four times before I realized what it was saying. So it goes back to what Sam was saying of you know it it I, I feel like it definitely could have been fleshed out more. I I really love you know the books and how they sort of go into more details of you know what how do the mechanics affect you affect your game et cetera and you really miss that and in, in in these short short handouts. Um, but again, can't really complain about a free thing. I love that Wizards is sending out these these optional rules to players it's just unfortunate that you know those of us who spend a lot of time playing games spend a lot you know have a huge history with rpgs have to spend time reading through these multiple times to get it i can't imagine what a new player (laughs) is faced with when they try to read through it
0: Yeah, And to Wade's point, we're the people who are on the Wizards website looking for this stuff, right? Right, Right. exactly. I think that the strain mechanic is actually, for people who have not looked at this document yet, that is a good way to look at it. Uh, Wade, I can tell. You're raring to go.
2: Well, I just wanted to point out that the first statement under this optional rule says, Some DMs find hit points bothersome. So therefore, we're going to throw in a whole bunch of stuff that makes it even more complicated <laughs> and, you know, enjoy it. Um, I, I remember, oh man, Sam, you're going to be able to help me with this because you and I go back on this. Uh, the second edition, oh, what was mm. it? The Variant Skills and Powers, was that it? Or the Combat and Tactics books? There was awful yep. books at the end of second. Okay. One of them mm-hmm. talked about armor degradation and soft points and how you can... Kind of delineate your armor class in the way that instead of instead of a standard armor class, it's your armor has like a vitality itself. That that makes a little more sense to me because it might make me want to suit up a little stronger. Um, sort of like how the uh, the new edition goes back to piercing, bludgeoning, and slashing damage, mm-hmm. but that armor almost felt like uh, a subset that fighters could really latch onto. Uh, and to some extent, I guess, you know, some of the other subclasses, but like a barbarian wouldn't care about wizard wouldn't care about, but um, it gives those, it gives those fighters another way to kind of track something that I don't know. I thought it was fun, but it wasn't too distracting, but it was also, more importantly, it was definitively separated from hit points. It was okay. Right. I, my armor's great, but if I take too many bludgeoning attacks, it becomes useless. And it it, it was a nice layer that didn't feel strained. This, I feel like, maybe drew inspiration from that, but it comes across as all kind of crazy clunky. I don't need it anymore. And until they address my one wish in an Unearthed Arcana article, give me back individual traits for weapons and give me back now individual traits for armor. So make that trident something special besides another type of damage. Right. Um, do you remember? Remember that it was like an early play test it was so cool. Mm-hmm. Like, A next, yeah. this, so I want those, I'm sure they're lying around somewhere. I mean, I might even go back to my old playtests and start bringing it. But anyway, that is what I want from something like Vitality. Really give armor an overhaul and do it right. Maybe they will. Maybe this
1: they'll give me a chance to respond to this, um, since I know they listen to this podcast. I think it was in combat and tactics. Um, and it was a really interesting way to deal with it. And And you're right, it kept... The sort of defense that you get from whatever you're wearing or using as a weapon, separate from your sort of bodily hit points, um, and it and you know depending on how you conceive of hit points, that could be a really great thing for you or a really bad thing for you. Uh, but you know it, it once again it was an optional rule, so you could do do with it whatever you wanted, and it was fine. Um, about strain, you know, it's really funny that you brought up that strain is a really great mechanic, by the way, in, in edge of the empire. It's really fantastic. Um, but you know, what also had a great mechanic and, and was produced by wizards of the coast was the star Wars saga edition. Mm -hmm. And they had the really interesting condition track and it was, it basically sort of emulated a a sort of strain type of thing where, uh, it affected, you know, the power of the hit that, that, that you took damage from affects uh, how well you perform later on, right? Um, and it's sort of like how strain affects what you can do, but you can easily buy off strain if you roll enough advantages and all that stuff, but uh. What's really funny, though, is that I think that those arise, those really interesting sort of conditional strain mechanics arise from Star Wars because of the genre, because it's this space opera-y, you know, every man is doing these fantastical things, and so you have to have a bit of luck, and so you can't be so... Uh, such it has to be more granular than just you know hit points. It has to be well you take this amount and it causes you to be you know a little shaken and you take this amount and you're now you're incapacitated to some extent. But something fantastic might happen and you're gonna you know stand up in the next turn and you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Whereas D and D deals with heroic actions like that very differently. Um, and the thing is, I don't think the vitality to bring this back around. I don't think the vitality mechanic actually addresses that i think it addresses something else right you know i i don't see how this and i don't dislike the mechanic necessarily but i don't really see how it makes the pc more heroic or less heroic or more something more sturdy maybe or less I i don't know it it doesn't it doesn't just i don't know something about it is just a little slightly off for me
0: yeah. Yeah. Well, it seems like it's there to add some crazy realism or, you know, the like, but to Wade's point, uh, I do think it adds a layer of complexity that really then the onus comes on the players too, just as much as the DM because they have to track it. That's really going to slow down things at the table. And it's more complicated than just subtract this number because you just got hit by a sword. So why don't we get into the custom alignments, which, as Wade said, is a non-rule. Essentially, they suggest that, you know, you could throw out the good and evil axis and the law and chaos axis and bring in your own alignments. You know, you could have mercantile houses or if you were in Star Wars rather than good and evil, if you wanted, you could have empire and rebellion. It's an interesting idea. I don't really know how much it impacts gameplay. Uh, Wade, you talked earlier about just throwing alignment out the window, which I know a lot of other groups have done. Uh, so, mm. why don't you <clears throat> rant and rave about this for a little while?
2: <laughs> no, I, I. It's fine. I've already done it. I mean, <laughs> I've done this. No, I've I've done this for years. Um, I really. What's neat about this? This is the only part of the document. That felt like it was yanked out of the um, the DMs guide. Mm-hmm. Tell me among you guys who've read the DMs guide who have said to yourself, "This stuff is great, and I know it all, but it looks great and it's presented well, <laughs> but and you love to read it like it's such a great read." The DMs guide, but none of it was groundbreaking or earth shattering. Um, so this is basically me thinking or me reading what I think anyway, and you just yeah, you just slap it on the label, whatever you want to call it point is you don't live and die by alignment anymore and it frees up your characters and it frees up your npcs you know so have those evil silver dragons running around because the one family wants to exact revenge upon the world not all evil so not all silver dragons are evil and not all red dragons are good but in this particular instance it works for your game you can call it a mercantile system or a trade federation or whatever you want to call it. But it works. Use it. And then the next time another situation comes up, use your you know use your brain, not some rule in a book. That's it. That's a small rant for me. Uh,
1: so I have two things to say about it. The first one is very positive. I love that they used an example that really evokes the feeling of Dark Sun. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's basically, I mean, anybody who knows anything about dark sun, when you read that, you must be thinking, oh yeah, that, that would be the alignment scheme for dark sun. If you were going to mimic an alignment scheme, that's like the nine pointed alignment we have. If you were going to mimic that in dark sun, but change it a little bit, that's exactly what you would get. But here's my problem. Uh, yeah. So I've done it already. I mean, (laughs) we already like we do like what, so what am I supposed to be learning from this, this article? It doesn't tell me anything it's it doesn't have enough information to really uh you know help me you know i mean i don't know i like i said it's hard to be it's hard to be rough on a two page article but like i don't know i just feel like it needs a little bit more detail here uh, give me another example one that's not about a, that doesn't you know so closely resemble a well known world um give me some something fantastical uh and you know and and interesting and new, you know, because basically what this article should be saying and it kind of says, but not so much, is: look, if you're just running in a standard fantasy world like Forgotten Realms or Greyhawk or Mistara, then uh, in general these alignments are fine for you mm-hmm. because this is how most of the sort of uh, uh, fight between good and evil is uh, is displayed. In our psyches, right? But how about this other really amazing, weird, strange, transformed world that has all of these interesting things and show me how to really make a funky one?
0: I think a little bit of what this is saying is like, hey, if you don't have the opposing forces of good and evil, you should have two other things that oppose each other in your world. Um, right. As opposed to showing you how you could really break alignment and build it back up. Right, um, because right. Because uh, really this article says alignment does not matter. <laughs> uh, right. And and it
1: doesn't that. even, even with their example, it doesn't even say, you know, and a character who had this alignment uh, scheme with these different axes would possibly role play their character differently in these distinct ways compared yeah. to someone with the good versus evil, you know, <laughs> chaos versus law. Because yeah. really all they did was mimic that exact thing, but change the name.
3: I know I said it earlier, but the first two, right, required me to sort of sit there read what it said a couple of times and think about how it would affect my game and, you know, experienced RPG player. took a little while for me to wrap my head around. And then this one just seemed very beginner. Mm -hmm. Sort of what Wade was saying of how this could have just been yanked from the DMG and for a second I thought it had and I went to go check my DMG and like, did they just repeat something right out of the DMG? (laughs) Because it just seemed so very fundamental to me. Mm -hmm. Um, so, I mean, it's great because I'm sure there's people out there who haven't thought of this, but at the same time, it just seemed like it didn't fit the rest of the document at all. Right. It just seemed out of place to me, um... I don't know. that I, will, I could say stuff that Sam and Wade had said already, but that seems like not a great use of our time, so I'll just leave it with that.
0: <laughs> you know, we want to know what everybody else out there thinks, so get in touch with us. Head over to thetomeshow.com. Leave us a comment in the show notes for this episode of The Roundtable, or you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash show and tell us what you think of these Unearthed Arcana variant rules. Moving on to our second topic, We have errata. So (laughs) (laughs) the uh, player's handbook errata has come out. And they were very clear that this errata is really fixing typos and clarifying rules. And they're not meant to replace a bunch of rules that are out there. So they're not fixing things like Mike Shea might see the Moon Druid, for instance, as a problem. They are not trying to fix (laughs) the Moon Druid uh, for Mike Shea. They are just uh, correcting... Typos and giving some clarification for things so people don't abuse certain abilities because of the way they're worded and that sort of thing.
1: So that can I point out? They said that also for fourth edition, but then it was like five (laughs) hundred (laughs) pages.
0: Yes, yeah, and it was straight up just (laughs) taking some stuff and completely changing.
1: Right, (laughs) it's like cut this out and paste it over this entire page of your player's handbook. Mm -hmm. Magic missile, anyone? Uh, so
0: let's talk a little bit about this. It's one page uh, for the player's handbook, which is a, a pretty big book, um, you know, and obviously they had already done a lot of playtesting before the player's handbook even came out. So this is kind of a good thing. This is how it should be. It should just be this one page of errata. Uh, What did you guys think? Was there anything in here that was glaring to you? Was there anything in here that you were like, oh man, that's going to change my game. Were you hoping to see a little more? Well then, Sam, let's start with you. Was there anything in here that you were like, oh my God? Or was there anything in here that you were like, where is this? You know, or is there anything you were missing?
1: You know, you know, I read the uh, the Vision and Light one, and I thought, "Dang it! Now James and I are going to have to go re-record our bonus." <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that's that's not true. I didn't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, the the one thing that I thought was funny, uh, maybe not funny, uh, interesting, was when they talk about hiding. It it says that you know the DM decides, blah blah blah. But then it says the question isn't whether a creature can see you when you're hiding. The question is whether it can see you clearly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> which i thought was an interesting like i'm trying to imagine the conversations that were taking place on forums that <laughs> caused them to have to add that particular statement um i i just sort of i gr- chuckled at it i thought it was kind of interesting uh, i didn't find the hiding rules to be that uh that difficult so um but i you know i'm really Pleased that uh, it's one page, and you know, and nothing is so egregious or so changed that um, that it, you know, could be, you know, a game changer. It really, I don't see any of these things as a game. At least not at my table. None of these things are going to be a, a game changers for any of the characters at my table. So,
0: yeah, most of this stuff were things that I assumed to begin with. You know, it was like, oh, that wasn't spelled out, but that's how I was already playing with that rule. Wade, what did you think about this?
2: So I don't know if you guys are um, people who love to keep your books pristine or whatever, but what I did with it uh, was I trimmed it down to size, taped it to the back of my player's handbook, and then any time in the book that it referenced the errata, I just took a highlighter across just the topic, Um, you know, the thing in dark and italics. So that way, if Mm -hmm. I ever needed to know what it referenced, bam, it's right there. So I'm hoping it either stays to one or two pages, because I'm going to run out of Pages in the front and back. Before too long, those <laughs> front and back matter. But and and it's funny because I, you know, I was excited. I was like, cool, maybe they'll clear some things up. But like Sam, I, yeah, there's really not much there that's that's that was jumping out as wrong anyway. And if it was, we just kind of dismissed it or, or sort of reinterpreted it. One thing that I did find neat was that it forced me to reread the player's handbook. Mm-hmm. Well, not forced me to, but it invited me back. And since I DM mostly, my head's been in the DM's guide and the um in the monster books. And it was cool. You know, I got to take another tour of some classes that, that I dismissed. Uh, I still don't like the monk. Um, but I'll tell, you, <laughs> I'll tell you what I did was, uh, I stopped on the warlock. And since a few of these things work with this pact of the tome warlock, which I completely dismissed as much lamer than the chain and the blade. Mm-hmm. So then I made a, a tome warlock guy, not because the errata like made him uber powerful or whatever, but because I just, dismissed him earlier and i was like he's a really cool role-playing opportunity to play something that you know is maybe not overtly powerful but the errata i may not ever have glossed back over it again uh unless this kind of made me look back at it so you know it's kind of cool to do that way but other than that it's not the most useful thing in the world but i'm glad they're keeping it to a minimum. And uh, I hope they maintain that promise in the future.
0: And that's why we're seeing so much Unearthed Arcana stuff uh, coming out and and so many surveys, uh, because they would like to keep up that steam of not having so much errata because they've already nailed it in playtesting. Uh, Liz, what did you think of this?
3: So I, I was actually happy to see that it was ma- mainly just, you know, Hypo uh, fixing and clarification, and not a huge change to the rules um, because I I prefer that personally. Yep. Um, and I know a lot of gamers were probably disappointed that there wasn't those <laughs> you know <laughs> huge fixes. And I say fixes, and I'm I'm doing air quotes that you of course can't see, but you know. <sighs> Me personally, if you feel strongly that something's overpowered or underpowered or something like that, my preference is that if I'm your GM, you talk to me about it and we house rule it or we figure something out you know, at the table. Because it's one of those things where if, if someone feels that it's something super overpowered or underpowered and Wizards changes it, suddenly all of the people that thought it is fine are going to be up in arms. So I just, I think, Personally, it's probably safer for wizards cool. to see, just focus on the typos, clarifications, and uh, just house rule stuff, people. That's my personal stand.
0: There's always going to be people who find something that they don't think is balanced or that they don't like. A- every Mike Shea has a moon druid, if you will. Um, <laughs> and uh, But even Mike has gone on to say that he realizes that every class kind of has something that can be over powered and abused if you play it right. Um, but that the DM has so much agency in this edition of the game, it's very easy to house rule. It's very easy to make bigger, better monsters to compete with those people if you need to. It's hard to get new players into a game when they spend $50 on a book, and then you say, oh, by the way, go online and p- print out 40 pages of errata that tell you how to change the $50 product you just bought.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: you know so so i was really happy to see this there
1: are a couple of things in here that change like the action type mm-hmm. that a particular ability uh affects and so though in in that way uh, particular for example the monk the water whip uh requires a, a regular action not a bonus action that's a that might be a major change for for someone um but uh if i recall correctly it actually reads as though it's a regular anyway uh, but mm-hmm. here here's my thing <laughs> i think uh if i recall correctly that they are doing a third printing of the phb and that and these errata will be incorporated into that new printing so
3: mm-hmm.
1: it, along with it only being one page and how i like how it's they're keeping it short and it's simple and it's you know mostly typos and a few slight clarifications i think uh I think the it also pleases me that they're putting it in the new printing, so uh, you know, future people who buy future copies of this book will not need to download this thing; it will just be there, yeah. which was yeah. something not possible with with uh, previous editions.
0: Now, if only I could update my ebook that doesn't exist. Uh, This (laughs) will really be in the future. (laughs) All right. Well, we've done it. We are going to go ahead and move on to our next topic. But before we do, I'd like to remind you that we'd like to hear from you about the errata. So visit us over at thetomeshow.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash thetomeshow. Let's talk about the latest survey, the June survey, which, of course, included the survey results From May. Um, The survey results from May were a little leaner than they normally are, and they're normally pretty lean with the information that they're giving to us. They did talk a little bit about the Unearthed Arcana waterborne adventures, and you know, they said that it seemed like people were really liking that. There were some unhappiness with various parts of the Minotaur, but uh, for the most part people were pretty happy, and then they said we asked you a few questions about Dragon Plus, Plus. We appreciate the feedback as we tailor the app's content and chart the course for the future. Overall, it was positive, and we're looking that we build on that success. So, you know, a traditional vague response on how the surveys went, Um, (laughs) (laughs) which seems to be mostly what we're getting from Wizards uh, this time around. And then, of course... We had the survey this month, which was all about classic settings, about which classic settings would you like to see updated for 5th edition. And there were a lot of settings in there. Uh, Sam, I want you to know... For you, I clicked the Mistara box. Oh,
1: James. You're my hero. (laughs) Uh,
0: And then uh, they asked about classes and races we would like to see in the future as well. And then, you know, go on with the, we can't promise you're going to see everything. uh, That even if you check it, it doesn't mean that we're going to make it. But... We'd we'd like to know what a majority of people are looking for. Um, So why don't we talk a little bit about, I feel like on this podcast, we have beaten to death the fact that they are so vague in their responses with what the surveys were like last time. Um, So why don't we talk right away about the survey related to settings, classes, and races? And why don't we just talk about the things that we want to see? Wade, let's start with you.
2: I want to see an option that wasn't presented for settings, and I would love to see... And that's not the point of this survey. I would love to see... <laughs> I would love to see... How about an entirely brand new setting with 5th edition in mind as our starting point?
0: Mm. Yep, Ooh. I would love to see that too.
2: The mm-hmm. last true edition that had a new campaign setting was Eberron in 3.0, because Nintir Veil, folks, doesn't count. There's no way a single Veil has that much going on in it. That throws me nuts. <laughs> um but beyond <laughs> that I, I i liked it too just spread it out a little bit you know <laughs> everything has to happen in this corner or that corner um i i voted pretty simply uh i voted plainscape because i need an addition of plainscape that gets rid of that weird quasi thieves can't language it's very hard to read and distracting and i would just like it broken down but just as robust as it used to be because man that's a great setting um, I voted Ravenloft because I always vote Ravenloft so those are some of the most memorable adventures plus very much off the beaten path so that's like an unearthed arcana in itself and I love that I reluctantly voted dark sun and here's why um i'm I'm a recent I'm a recent <laughs> con- dark Sun I didn't like it in second edition I actually really enjoyed it for fourth but i'm I'm, a, I'm so afraid that so many people are gonna be voting for these tried and true we've seen them every editions that we're gonna get another dark Sun and let's i got to tell you, of all the stuff that came out of 4th that I didn't like, the Dark Sun I think nailed it. It nailed a lot of good stuff if you take the mechanics away. So I did vote for that, but I left aside Dragonlance, uh, Greyhawk. I kept in Mystara. I, I can't remember why I did that. I think I've read some stuff recently that I like. I knew it wouldn't. The star is never going to get made. But um, I tried <gasps> Bite to- your tongue! <laughs> sorry! sorry. <laughs> you know I, I, I secretly think Ravenloft's never going to get made. We're going to get a couple adventures and that might be it. You know, as disappointing as I was to say, to see that there wasn't a brand new option, I'd like to see them. I think the number one, uh, with other stuff, I think, further back in my head. That's that. I, I purposely didn't vote for the, the more vanilla settings. I don't think you, you need to do much with Greyhawk to get it up to speed. And Dragonlance doesn't work for me anymore either, so. But that's a whole other argument. So, uh, classes, um, I guess they're not considering Warlord anymore, because that wasn't a choice. Um <laughs> classes I put in like Alchemist because I never really knew how that worked. I thought that could be kind of cool. I left most of them blank. I, I I don't need a lot of pigeonhole classes. I think we can do a lot more with just um builds. And I think they've done a pretty good job with the seafaring stuff. That's kind of neat. The Swashbuckler is great. Um and then races, uh I don't remember what I put in. I remember I, I, I checked the rod lacoy or whatever the however the hell you uh, pronounce that. Bad, bad yeah. Vampire. yeah, they're neat. Um and I oh no, you know what I put in? I love gnolls, um, my, my campaign right now has drug addicted gnolls, it's a pretty long story about why they're drug addicted, but they're like super important to the plot, and so far I've been sort of manipulating and Monster Manual stats and some old stuff, so I'd love to see gnolls and goblins and stuff like that, uh, but beyond that, I, I don't really care, a lot of that old stuff I can leave behind, I'm, I'm good with mostly what they have in these three books.
0: Sam, what about you, what would you like to see?
1: Well, I, I have to comment on Wade's Planescape thing. Here's the problem with what what you're asking for: if you take the Planescape chant language out of Planescape, mm-hmm. it's not Planescape. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. I mean, that's yes. you know, that's that's what that's the major obstacle to that. But you know, you can <laughs> play Planescape without using that language. That's true.
2: Oh, I do. I just pouring through all the um, legally purchased PDFs I got at um dot um, it's just it's painful because I'm the only one that's ever going to read it, and I'm like I just want to get to what they're saying, and I I'm at a point now where i am got to gloss over it. But it and and look, I love the flavor at the time, but I think I'm just getting too old for it, you know. Damn, oh. Yeah.
1: So I of course picked Mistara and uh, and I said uh, I didn't say Planescape, and the reason I didn't say Planescape is I think second edition Planescape is done very well. And it's already easily portable to fifth edition, so I don't want them to mess with it. Oh uh, that's the same reason I didn't pick Greyhawk because uh, s- uh, first edition Greyhawk and and slightly more uh, second edition Greyhawk was really good. Third edition, eh? Um, yeah. Yeah. But but you know you can easily purchase a lot of Greyhawk stuff. Uh, either mm-hmm. through eBay or on dndclassics.com or through Noble Knight Games, where out of print is available again. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's that's there. So there's no reason to redo those. I really, I truly believe there's no reason to redo those. But Mistara is a setting that has not been redone in any of those editions. So mm-hmm. I don't see any reason not to. I think it it has enough interesting things about it that make it not vanilla, the fact that there's no gods being one of them. Uh, and so, you know, I really feel like that's, that can be done easily and very well. But I don't want, what I don't want is them to rush it. I thought adding Nintir Veil to the, I didn't pick it, but I think I thought adding it to the, um, to the selection choices was an interesting thing. Uh, Cause I'm kind of like, wait, I feel like they didn't give it enough fleshing out anyway, you know, how, you know, I don't know, for, for what it was in fourth edition, it was okay, but I don't feel like they gave it enough of a foundation to really, it would, it would be the most new, if they did it, it would be the most new old setting that they would bring into 5e. But anyway, I'm tired of Forgotten Realms. I'm tired of the older settings. I'm with Wade. I want a new setting. Give me a new setting. Don't redo all the old stuff. All the old stuff already has products for it. Just release all those on PDF and let people deal with it, you know, and, and maybe produce some, you know, produce a set, a box set of newly printed but old stuff from Ravenloft or newly printed old stuff from Dra- you know from, uh, from Dark Sun or something and just sell it and, and you know, let that be it. Uh, but it's the old stuff. Don't don't make any new stuff. Just give the old stuff, and then you're done. It's you know, spend your detention doing other things. I don't know. I also thought it was interesting that they didn't have Warlord on there, and so I'm wondering if they don't have Warlord because they're already planning on doing it anyway, or if they're uh. just considering the the Warlord build to be the the one that is the true Warlord, and they're not going to explore it anymore, which would make me sad. Um uh so what did I pick? I can't even remember what classes I picked. I think uh I don't know. Um in terms of races, uh I did pick the Thrycreen because I think there's enough out that you could make a pretty convincing dark sun uh port of for of of dark sun for 5e uh with what they already have put out in the inner arcana and in in the different supplements if we had things like the Thrycreen. So uh that's one thing I picked. I I don't remember what other races I picked. Because uh, i I'm I've never been one to be really excited about uh ra- uh creature you know, creature races as PCs. So yeah.
0: I think it's gonna be a while before you see a new setting because we haven't seen that much new everything in the core rule books, right? Every monster that you saw, mm-hmm. every spell that you saw, <laughs> uh was not yeah. new. It already had a, a previous incantation. So I think you know, it's going to be a while because this is the u- addition to Unite All Editions. Uh, I agree with you. I'd love to see something new, um, but I think it may be a while before we do. It's uh, D&D has become like Marvel or DC Comics at this mm-hmm. point. You know, to, to get a new superhero in there is, is hard. And I think yeah. to get a new setting oh, I, the
1: same way. Don't get me wrong. I don't think we're going to see a new setting.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I would love to. I don't think it's going to happen, just like I don't think Mistara is going to happen. Oh, yeah. Uh, But you know what? The difference is, Mistara it'd be okay if it didn't happen, because I still have all my my old stuff. I can just, you know, bring it 4th to 5th edition. But a new setting, well, you know, I have my homebrew world, so I guess that's okay, too. Uh, Liz,
0: what did you think of the June survey?
3: So I definitely agree with you guys of wanting a new setting, and that's actually one of the reasons why I clicked none of the above. Boom. So, Yeah. Um, so, sorry, I didn't vote for Miss nice. Sarah for you, Sam. <laughs> no, I
1: um, hey, you know what? I, I'm fully behind that.
3: <laughs> so, uh, yeah, just none of the above for me. That makes it pretty easy. Um, for the classes, uh, honestly, the only – when I was reading through these, the only one that sort of jumped out to me is something I – like actually be interested in reading was the alchemist. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, that made it pretty easy for me as well. I I wasn't a huge fourth edition player guys. So I really don't understand. I don't know where you're coming from with your warlord, everyone. So (laughs) I'll just trust you that it's amazing. And I would love to see it just for your sakes. Um, (laughs) And for the races, I mean, A lot of the classics ones I'd love to see. And then, of course, and this is for Wolfgang, Wolfgang Bauer from Coldwell Press, for anyone who doesn't know who who he is, I would love to see a kobold in 5th edition. I'm sure, you know, if an OGL comes out, we'll see one from him, but an official kobold from Wizards of the Coast would be pretty awesome. And for my dad, specifically, a pixie. Mm. Um. Yes, he wasn't a huge pixie player himself, but uh, I grew up on the story of him playing a D&D game with um, Dave Arneson. And Whoa. he, yeah, and uh, Dave was playing a pixie. So I feel like they should definitely make a pixie just for that story that they have no idea about.
0: That's right. So all, <laughs> you, all you pixie haters out there, Dave Arneson played them because they are yes. awesome. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah. Now, if we, you Indeed. could find me a story where Gary Gygex played a shard mind, that would be very helpful as well. Uh.
3: <laughs> I, I could say it. It would be totally made up. But
1: <laughs> Warlord was an amazing class for oh, fourth yeah. edition. Um, but I think I'm not sure how it will really convert to an edition that is not so tactically demanding. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, not tactically demanding at all. Uh, Because the Warlord really is a tactician and requires uh, the need to expend energy doing tactical things. Right. Uh, And that's, that's how he or she buffs the party. That's how they provide their benefit for the rest of the group. Uh, so if that's not necessary in the game, I'm not sure how it will port over. Uh, and it's probably the reason I was a little bit disappointed with the Warlord build that's in the PHB because it's a different game, and so it doesn't require that. So while I have a lot of love for the Warlord, I'm not sure that... Uh, that it will translate very well. Um, I do want to say that of the classes, I think the artificer, I would like to see them explore that more because I remember we talked about it, uh, what they had said about it on the other Unearthed Arcana release that they had on one of the other roundtables, um, and they had done a good preliminary job with it. I'd like to see them flesh that out a little bit more, uh, but it's absolutely not necessary.
0: Well, and we absolutely want to hear from all of you out there once again, so go to com and fill out our comment box in the show notes for this episode. Um, tell us what settings... <laughs> You want to see uh use the hashtag #MistaraForSam for sam if you are for mistara for sam uh and uh check us out on facebook over at facebook.com slash the tome show and i think that is going to do it for this episode where can people find you samuel dylan
1: you can find me on twitter at dm samuel or you can visit my blog at rpg musings you can, all, you can also listen to the wonderful bonus action podcast, which uh, I host with some unknown guy names, named James.
0: Yeah, he sucks, but you are great. <laughs> you are awesome on that podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great podcast teaching you 5th edition D&D, one rule at a time, now with errata included. Liz Tice, where can people find you?
3: You can find me on Twitter. Um, my Twitter handle is Liz Tice or Liz the is. Mm-hmm. Um, if that's easier to find me.
0: Excellent. Excellent. And Wade Kemper, you cannot be found on the internet.
2: But if you really want to email me for some godforsaken, oh, you know what? Here's why you can email me. I will show up on any podcast discussing D&D, gaming, and geek culture, and I'm telling you everybody, if you want me in because apparently you can't get enough people to talk your head off. Uh, email me at my Kemper, at gmail.com, and I will do my best to help out anybody who needs a voice.
0: And he is a great voice for your podcast, so get
2: him
0: on there. And you can follow me on Twitter at James Intercasso. That's at J-A-M-E-S-I-N-T-R-O-C-A-S-O. And you can leave us a comment on the Tome Show's website, thetomeshow.com, or at Facebook at facebook.com slash thetomeshow. Also, check out my blog, which is all about Exploration Age. It's the 5th edition world I'm building over at worldbuilderblog.me. There's a ton of free resources for your D&D 5e games over there, like monsters. And I even put an adventure for 12th level characters up there. So if you're feeling lazy, head on that way. Okay, everybody, thanks for listening. And thanks to Liz, Sam, and Wade. Special thanks to Jeff Greiner for letting us join the Tome Show lineup. And an extra special thanks to Sam for getting this podcast out there on the airwaves. Our theme music, which you're listening to right now, was composed by Eric Michaels. Don't forget to go to thetomeshow.com and use the affiliate links whenever you shop on Amazon or D&D Classics Self support the show. And hey, if you like the show, please rate the Tome Show on iTunes and like us on Facebook. Keep on rolling and keep on listening to The Roundtable.